is an Odyssey original. This is Coronavirus Daily. I'm Charles Feldman. I'm Mike Simpson from the KNX Odyssey Studios in Los Angeles. What did you do right after you got your COVID shot? Go home, take it easy. Concerns about side effects. Did you go for a long run or maybe a walk? New research shows exercising right after you're vaccinated could help that dose be more effective. And what if the key to losing weight was something as simple as getting more sleep? We start with a shot and the chaser of exercise. A new study finds people who worked out for 90 minutes right after their COVID or flu shot produced more antibodies than people who did not. Marion Kohut oversaw the study. She's a member of the Nano Vaccine Institute at Iowa State University. So what is it about exercise that makes these vaccines work better? Right. Well, that is the million-dollar question that we hope to answer in future uh, studies. So this was really preliminary work, but I would say it was very promising in that 90 minutes of exercise across two different flu vaccines and the COVID vaccine uh, enhanced antibody response four weeks uh, later. And we also did this in mice and saw the same same thing. So in the study, were people sent out to walk right as soon as they got vaccinated? Or, I mean, can you go later in the day or the next day? Or do you not know? Good. Great question. Um, you know, we were trying to control everything. So we had everybody start exercising within 15 to 30 minutes after getting the shot. Um, of course, it depends where you were and could you get to a, lot, a walking location that's safe? So uh, we were within that 30 minute time frame though after the vaccine and um, participants began 90 minutes of what we call light to moderate intensity exercise. So a brisk walk for most people, if you're really fit, maybe a easy jog. Okay, so something to get your heart rate up is, is the idea. Absolutely. Okay. And is this, you know, I, I know you've mentioned we're waiting for more studies, but there is some sort of general immune system exercise, cellular response. When you do exercise, it changes things in your body. Is that kind of where we are with this? Right, right. And there's probably not one single factor that contributes. There are a lot of changes with exercise, metabolic changes, blood flow, lymph flow, neuroendocrine changes, all of those can impact immune response. So it's probably um, several different mechanisms that contribute to this enhancement. So, uh, and again, I, I realize because you're doing a, an experiment and you had that control, so you set 90 minutes, but is there any, logically, would it still work with 60? Because I'm actually trying to negotiate here. <laughs> if I run faster, <laughs> can I do 30? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is an hour enough. <laughs> right, you're not alone. We all want to do the least we can and get the most out of it, right? Uh-huh. A couple Absolutely. crunches and call yeah. it a day. <laughs> So um, we didn't test 60 in humans. We tested 45, and 45 was not enough. Um, and so maybe 60 will work, maybe 75 minutes. So in future studies, you hope to really define that. Can you get away with less than 90? Uh, but for now, we can't say that. Yeah. When we but, talk about the antibody booster, the immunity booster, how do we characterize or you know apply that? Is that enough to... to keep you from falling seriously ill or getting a breakthrough? Or is it just, you know what, let's be happy that it's something and uh, we're all kind of playing luck of the draw lottery with this anyways? Right. Great question. So um, is that improvement in antibody, is that enough to confer better protection against the infection? So we are following people who were in the study over time. 
Um, and we hope to have a little bit of insight to that, although you really need to do a study with thousands of participants probably to adequately address that. But we, we will look at that and we'll be following up and reporting on that as well as how long does this benefit last? Is it just four weeks or can it carry out to six months, nine months? Um, and those are important questions that we'd like to know how long that protection might last. I mean, is it logical to presume that this effect would work with any vaccine? Well, we've seen it with flu vaccine, um, two different flu vaccines, and we've seen it with COVID. Um, so, and those are two different types of vaccines. One is, you know, killed attenuated um, virus, and the other is uh, an mRNA-based vaccine. So they're different vaccine platforms. Um, so can we extend that to other vaccines? Maybe, we'll see. But it's promising that it worked across three different vaccines. So when you start getting to studying five minutes of exercise, <laughs> will, you, will you keep me in mind? <laughs> You'd like to volunteer. Yeah, so we, yeah. I'll, I'll take the stairs I'll up volunteer. instead of the elevator. Yeah, I'll I volunteer. Call it a day. <laughs> right, well, some other studies have looked at exercising the muscle in which you were immunized. Oh. Um, and, and that data is kind of mixed though. Sometimes oh. it benefits, sometimes not. So um, it's a little bit hard to say. My friend, um, speaking of, is convinced that like she, you know, did arm circles in that arm and yeah. that it would hurt less afterwards. Is that a thing or no? Uh, I would say that's a, that's a, a, maybe an urban legend, but um, <laughs> there's just not really great data. We did actually look at side effects, though, to see is that amount of exercise going to impact side effects, either positively or negatively. In our study, we saw absolutely no difference between the exercise and the control, but there are a couple other studies that have reported um, slightly fewer side effects with exercise around the time of vaccination. Okay, but also don't like, you know, go so crazy that you, you know, can't do anything else, right? Because there can be too much. Don't don't overdo it. Because I mean, marathon runners sometimes get sick after their marathon. So don't go run like 10 miles. Right. Yeah. yeah. yeah, you, yeah. You, can, you can overdo it, right? Yeah. Right, right. Well, we looked at that in mice. We didn't ask people to do that. <laughs> but we had our mice, mice go three hours and that was dropping off. It was kind of back to, to uh, baseline. It wasn't worse than no exercise, but it wasn't any better. So there's probably a tipping point that too much is, yeah. is not going to help. So, right. Right, you, you did it with mice because if you did it with people, they'd go, no way. Yeah, I'm going to get off this. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm not doing this for three off hours. The Sorry, yeah. going home. Thanks for the shot. Um, <laughs> Marion Kohut oversaw this study, member of the Nano Vaccine Institute, Iowa State University. We've been searching for decades for the easiest way to lose weight with the least amount of effort. So far, though, Doctors keep telling us to eat less and exercise more, both of which take a lot of you know, effort. <laughs> what if you could just lose weight by sleeping more? That'd be nice. Uh, maybe you can. New study finds people who sleep longer tend to eat fewer calories. With us is study author Dr. Esra Trasali, who directs the Sleep Research Center at the University of Chicago. Now, I'm sure it's more complicated than it sounds, but on the surface, it seems pretty straightforward, right? Is there more to it than just if you're sleeping, you're not eating? There is. There is. Hello. Um, so basically, we knew from laboratory studies that sleep loss stimulates uh, appetite-regulating hormones, increases cravings for sugar and junk food, and increasing the risk for weight gain. But what we didn't know is whether we can do anything about this in real life. So therefore, we conducted our study, which shows that getting sufficient sleep could lower the number of calories you eat every day. 
Uh, we did not necessarily examine the mechanisms in our study, uh, but uh, most likely explanations for less calories uh, eaten uh, could be that there are changes in these appetite-regulating hormones. For example, ghrelin, a hormone secreted by your stomach, uh, could be better regulated, decreased, so gives you less hunger cues, as well as changes in brain regions that we call um, um, reward centers that makes you crave for a certain type of foods, potentially junk foods, and that could be better regulated when you're fully rested. Okay, so it's not so much, you know, get more sleep, a few more hours, and you'll magically lose weight. It's don't be sleep-deprived because when you are, your body is not in the sink it should be, and you're more likely to get these cravings and go and overeat or, or you know, reach for something that isn't super healthy. Correct. You're, you're uh, by sleep depriving yourself, you're altering also metabolic pathways beyond just um, uh, staying less in bed. Now, does it matter? And maybe I don't know if the study uh, looked at this. Does it matter if you uh, naturally try to get more sleep or if you take some some medication to induce sleep? Does that change anything? Of course, uh I would say that the natural sleep is the best sleep. Uh, however, you can help get help from medications to initiate your sleep. Um, it's not the same type of sleep that you would be getting from medications. Potentially, uh, the one of the most important part of sleep is the deep sleep state that we we call slow wave sleep. Uh, that would be. Uh, with some medications reduced and not to the same level you would get from natural sleep. How much can we quantify, like a per day, or or what did you find in terms of how much people actually lost when they were sleeping like they were supposed to, or how much you know in excess of calories were they not taking in suddenly? Two hundred and seventy kilocalories per day. That's what we found. Uh, that our subject our um, uh, participants, when they uh, were getting sufficient sleep, they would lower uh, their calorie intake by 270 kilocalories per day, which is substantial when you think about weight loss. This would translate roughly uh, 26 pounds over three years. So we're talking in, in terms of like, I don't know, if there's a way to sort of translate that into typical food, is that because they're sleeping, they're eating, I don't know, like two less cookies or something like that, or what? Chocolate bars, cookies, you could, you could say that, uh, uh, a few of them, yeah. All right. Get rid of the Snickers, because you went to bed. Uh, Dr. Hmm. Ezra Tassali directs the Sleep Research Center at the University of Chicago. I mean, it, it also kind of works, you know, backwards the first way that you said, too, I guess, because if, if, if anyone has, like, a calorie counter and then they run out, yeah. At like 7 p.m. What yeah. are you going to do? Yeah. I so, can't. Yeah, I'm going to go to bed. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm out of room today. <laughs> well, all right. So uh, so now we know, you know, you learn something every day. So now we, we think that if you exercise yes. for like 90 minutes exercise after you get a COVID shot, you're better. This is and now then, a health program. Right. <laughs> <laughs> there That's you our, go, folks. There you go. Exercise and sleep. We end today's Coronavirus Daily with a story about a global vaccine milestone that actually shows how much work is left to be done to end the COVID pandemic. A little over a year after COVID vaccines first became available, more than half the world's entire population 
is estimated to be fully vaccinated. This is according to researchers at the University of Oxford. They've been keeping track of vaccine rates. And not surprisingly, vaccine distribution remains wildly uneven. Less than 11 percent of people in low-income countries have received at least one dose. But nearly 80 percent of populations in both upper-middle-income and high-income nations have got at least one jab. Countries in Africa have just within the last month or so started receiving big volumes of vaccine doses. At least 85 percent of people living in Africa remain unvaccinated. World Health Organization cites another possibility for low vaccine rates in developing countries, all the misinformation that's come from the West. While we were slow to export vaccine doses, we were quick to export vaccine doubts. This is an Odyssey original. You can find us and others on the Odyssey app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher.